You're listening to Work Human Radio. And here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to Work Human Radio, pioneered by Global Force. My name is Mike Wood. I'm the social media manager here at Global Force, and I'm joined, as always, with the wonderful Sarah Payne. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Mike. What's going on? So this week, Sarah Payne talked to Mary Faulkner, who um, I met at the first Work Human conference a couple years ago because she is the fastest tweeter in the West. I have no <laughs> idea how she tweets as much as she does, but she's at all the conferences that I go to, the Sherm Conference, HR Tech, and she's at all these conferences, and she's always the top tweeter at all of them. She just has a constant stream. You she, can actually you can find her at M Faulkner 43. M Faulkner 43 <laughs> on Twitter. So um, she's a wonderful person. She's very funny, um, great sense of humor, and she is the director of talent acquisition over at Denver Water, right? That's right. And uh, we talked a bit about Work Human because she's actually part of our Disrupt HR segment on Tuesday. And her session's called The Myth of Empowerment. And she talked a lot about performance management, you know, what companies are doing right, uh, how can you improve it in your organization. And she's also an avid reader, which I was excited about. So I asked her about uh, what's her favorite business book right now. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know Sarah Payne, Sarah Payne loves libraries and books, and she's just at home. So it must have been great for you to find someone that also loves reading. That's true. So as Sarah said, Mary Faulkner is going to be at the Work Human Conference this year. She does a lot of public speaking. Uh, if you're in the Denver area, she's very active in Denver Disrupt HR chapter. And so um, if you'd like to go to Work Human, visit www.workhuman.com. And if you click the Register Now button and put in the code podcast, you'll save 100 bucks. So here is our interview with Mary Faulkner. Thanks for tuning in. So the first question is, uh, can you tell us a bit about what you do and how you came to find Work Human? Yeah, so um, I've been in HR for almost 15 years now and um, kind of came up through the LNOD side of things. And today I'm the director of talent at a public water utility in Denver, and um, I own the recruiting function and that sort of thing. But uh, one of the other things that I do is I'm pretty active online and social media, so I have this great network of people that have met through HR conferences. And Lori Rudiman actually said, hey, you should come to this conference for the very first one. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it looks interesting. I had seen it online. And I just loved it. The very first one was a much smaller experience. Um, the, the keynotes were just amazing speakers. You know, I had Sean Aker and Adam Grant and Ariana Huffington and all those people. And so um, I kind of fell into it and just keep coming. Yeah, we're really happy to have you. Now this will be your third year in a row. That's right. It'll be my third one. I feel like I'm a, an OG work humaner. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You are OG. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my next question it, ties into your uh, talent development background. You know, people expect managers today to be more like coaches as opposed to bosses. Uh, what's one thing a manager can do to be a better coach for his or her people? You know, um, one of the things that I see a lot with managers is this tendency to want to just tell somebody what the solution is or just do it this way or it's faster if I do it myself. And I think one of the things that managers can really do is, is A, listen, 
with actually listening instead of just waiting for your turn to talk, and B, to really start asking some good questions to get the answer from that person. A lot of times, the employee knows how to do it. It could be confidence. It could be um, fear that they're going to do it wrong, whatever it might be. Uh, to really coach somebody, you need to help them find the solution. So I think managers need, just need to be patient and help their, their employees find that solution for themselves. That's a great point. And it ties into performance management, which is something everybody in HR is talking about right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <how do> you, <laughs> you're laughing. I am, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what do you think about that? Like, have you seen organizations that do it well um, and that actually, you know, progresses you know, people in their in their development? You know, <laughs> The challenge with performance management is that it's so closely tied to compensation. And so in in the best organizations, honestly, where I've seen it done okay is in smaller organizations where it's not overly bureaucratic. It's just sort of a structure for ongoing conversations throughout the year. Everybody just kind of checks in and says, hey, remember we talked about doing this at the beginning of the year. Business needs have shifted. Let's talk about what, how we're going to adjust where you need to be and just that constant communication about expectation. And it's not about a score, it's about a, in general, how do we think we hit our goals and what do we need to do different next year? And what happens when you tie it completely to compensation is it becomes this bureaucratic nightmare that we have to document everything every year. And then, you know, in some organizations you do an algorithm and it's just a formula and whatever spits out of the system is what they get for a merit. And so as a result, people don't see performance management as a series of conversations and just an ongoing technique that leaders should use. It just becomes an event that you have to survive. I mean, and everybody feels that way. People feel like, oh, HR came up with this and we in HR, like, we would be happy to destroy this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we've got to figure out, you know, and at past organizations, we've had that conversation about do we separate merit and compensation from the performance review. And when I was at a, a smaller organization, we didn't do merit at all with the performance review. It was completely, it wasn't even part of it. It was, if you think somebody deserves a raise, why don't you make the argument for it and we'll take it on its merits. It wasn't, okay, it's performance management season, tell me who you want to give a raise to. So. It's it's that's the, the trick is it's become a it's become a, a mechanism to drive uh, rewards and it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be about constant communication and coaching with your people. I think um, it also it just makes it just like you said a once a year thing you have to do get it out of the way mm -hmm. and it's it doesn't make people better communicators. <laughs> No. And, God, the one thing that drives me nuts, too, is with goal setting. You know, some people are really – some organizations are super tight about we have to lock down the goals. You, know, you set your goals in January, and that's what they are, and we look at them never again until we review. And it's, that the business doesn't work that way. World, The world doesn't work that way. How many times have your priorities changed in a month? Right. <laughs> so, uh, or a week. <laughs> or, a week right? or today, right? So it needs to be a flexible um, – piece where you're really driving towards what do we say is the best for our organization and how do we achieve whatever that best is at the strategic level and then there's tactical actions we can take with keeping that strategic objective in mind throughout. I like that. Um, so next I wanted to talk about books because <laughs> I hear you're an avid reader, which I love. Yes. <laughs> a, a fellow book, book nerd. So. Um, so what's your favorite book on leadership and teams? Oh, you know, this is hard for me because I read 
so many different books and so many stick out for different reasons. But when I really think about this question, I think more of an author. So Patrick Lencioni, as whatever you think of the table group or whatever it might be, I just think his books, even though they're sort of that storytelling mode, they're realistic. So like Five Dysfunctions of a Team is a great model. It's a realistic scenario that they put forward for an executive team. It's something that you can point back to over and over again when your team is having issues, and you can really look back and say, do we have trust? And it shows that trust is the foundation. So I like that one. You know, then there's the death by meeting. There's the, I'm not going to get the title right, but the one with the silos and how everybody's in silos. Uh, so he's just, I just feel like he understands the insanity of working um, in corporate America and tries to give some realistic tools that aren't hard to remember to um, move forward with it. I like the death by meeting title. I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, that's pretty good. So the one, so he's got this whole, you know, not every tool that he puts forward is great. He's got this whole methodology for how you hold strategic meetings and tactical meetings and all that sort of thing. Um, it works for some organizations. Some organizations have to change it a little bit, but it's just good practical advice. Going back to leadership, um, what role do you think recognition plays in leadership development? Yeah, I think um, one of the things is you have to teach leaders to recognize people. The further up you get in an organization, the busier you are, and the less likely you are to think of that sort of thing, just because you're probably not getting it yourself once you hit sort of that director level and above, just because it's, you're an executive, you don't need that. Um, but just really remember, reminding leaders that people just want you to say thank you. It's not always about the money. It's not always about the perks. It's They want to feel like you value the contribution that they give. So um, whenever I've done any kind of, of leadership development and when we talk about how do you recognize your people, uh, you know, we say things like it needs to be sincere, it needs to be immediate, it needs to be personalized. And that means not everybody's going to love the big, giant, public display of, oh, we're so proud of this person. Because I have an employee that if I even think about thanking her in public, she just wants to kill me. <laughs> she threatens me. and I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, but then there's the, um, the, but on the other side, I love that you said the people who don't speak up as much and how do you recognize that hidden talent? Because I think that there is a bias towards extroverts and there's a bias towards um, people who are just more assertive in the workforce. And I love that you have Susan Cain speaking at this upcoming work human because that mm-hmm. introvert side of that, that quiet person, because, you know, on the MBTI, I am 100% I. I, even though I... Me like, too, me too. ...be outgoing and everything, it's just I don't want to always be out there. So when you're, when you're doing your um, review, your talent reviews, have talent reviews, sit down and really, how well do you know your people? How well do the managers know their people? Are you having regular conversations with them to find out what are their contributions? What do they think? Because not everybody does well in a group setting and not everybody's willing to speak up. When you've got like 10 extroverts and an introvert in a room, the introvert wants to think it through and the extroverts are just talking and it might look like the introvert's not contributing. So make sure that you're really adjusting your management style for the people who are there. And then when you do talent reviews, speak up and say, you know, I know that Sarah's not super chatty in meetings, but I've got to tell you, her work is this. She comes up with these great ideas. This proposal brought up three things we didn't even think about. So I think it's really on the manager to know their staff enough to be able to advocate for them. I think Susan Keene's ears are ringing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So back to work human. 
you have a talk scheduled at Work Human, and it's called the myth of empowerment. And uh, so, why is empowerment a myth? So the whole pro- empowerment is not really a myth, but I think it's this mythical thing that companies try to say they have and then immediately destroy it. So they say, we want empowered employees, but here's a 10-step process to order a pen. You know, <laughs> you have, we want, we want your feedback, but the decision's already been made. So I'm looking at it from the standpoint of you can't say you want something and then set up a system and a structure that completely negates the ability to get it. So when you think about empowerment and when you think about engagement, you got to think about the structure that you built around it to see if it enables it or not. And it, the whole idea of this came from a situation where my husband was moving his office, the the building that they were in, they were getting moved to a different building, and they had all these meetings with facilities about, oh, how do you want it set up, and where do you need the desks, and where is everybody going to sit, and how do you do work? And then they get to the building, and absolutely nothing was set up the way they asked for it. They just set it up as the same template as everybody else. And when they asked about it, they said, oh, well, we had to make some decisions about cuts. And they had never circled back and given the feedback. And I just sat there and, like, how many meetings did you have with these people to feel, quote, empowered? And they never once intended to give you what you needed to do your work. And so and that's nothing against my husband's company. They're great. But it was just a situation where I think a lot of, I think a lot of people um, – find themselves in because it's in this it's in the moment you know you say we at the high level everybody agrees empowerment's great and we should give our people the freedom to experiment and be creative and the freedom to failure but in a case by case basis companies have a tendency to to overreact and just deal within the moment and keep then forget the idea that they're trying to have an empowered workforce and get them engaged and so that's where the myth kind of comes in that it's not enough to say we say we want it you have to actually create an environment where they can do it it almost seems like if you open it up for feedback and then you don't do anything with it, it's it's worse than just saying oh, nothing. <laughs> I completely agree. I can't. I mean, so many times um, this happens to people, and you have to say, here's what we're using your feedback for, and here's why we couldn't do this or why we chose to do this. Uh, it's just kind of funny. We joke about it here at my current organization. We have so many town halls. We have so many avenues to get employee input. And we recognize that we're just not good at kind of closing that loop of saying, and here's what we're doing with it. Thank you. (laughs) You So you talked a little bit about how you came to find WorkHuman at the beginning, but what would you say sets WorkHuman apart from other HR conferences? We know you go go to a lot of them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's the topic, honestly. It's, It's so different than your typical HR conference because most HR conferences, they're a good mix of sort of that tactical HR and benefits and legal and that sort of thing and some leadership development and some some strategic sessions. But it tends to just be almost like a survey. What I like about WorkHuman is that it's really focused on that the people element of it. And there's so many things to explore on the people side. You know, you have the mindfulness piece, which, you know, 10 years ago, people would be like, okay, great, hippies, that's great. But now there's the recognition. <laughs> I'm still on the hippie side. I'm, I'm still getting there. But <laughs> but there's that recognition that there is some, there's science to it, and there's a benefit to people to having that. You can get that all the way down to, um, you know, the science behind rewards and recognition and how important it is to have more frequent touches and that sort of thing. So I, I think because it's just that kind of common theme, it 
creates a different experience for the attendees. There's the, I just find the quality of the kind of sidebar conversations that you have when you're waiting for a session to start or during the breaks, it's just a much different type of, of networking and a different kind of connection that you make with the fellow uh, attendees because you just don't think about this on a day-to-day basis in, in your office, and it's just a chance to kind of step back and see things in a different way. And I also really love the format. I love the idea of the, the keynotes, and then you have these little 15-minute quick hit sessions that you're able to touch on a bunch of different types of topics. And then if you're interested in it, you can dive deeper and maybe reach out to the speaker and have a conversation. So I just love that about it. Awesome. And then my last question is something we like to ask all of our work human speakers. Um, what does a more human workplace mean to you? Oh, so many things. I think one of the things is really thinking about the impact that what you as an organization is doing is having on your people. Um, you know, when you think of a human workplace, people think, you know, bring your whole self to work, be able to be an individual, all that sort of thing. I think there's going to be a growing need for organizations to think about when you automate systems, when you put together all this great technology that enables you to work differently, what is that impact going to be on people? How does it change the way they work? How does it change the way they feel about their work? Um, how does it change the way that they feel about themselves? Because a lot of people, their identity is in their work. So how can you help them see that just because it's different doesn't mean that you are less valuable. It's just going to be, it, it enables you to do other kinds of work. So really thinking about that impact that you're having on the human beings that work within a technological system. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our interview with Mary Faulkner. She's the Director of Talent Acquisition over at Denver Water, and she's also a speaker at this year's Work Human Conference, which, by the way, is coming up. If you would like to attend Work Human, just enter www.workhuman.com into your browser, click Register Now, and if you put in the code PODCAST, you'll save 100 bucks. So thanks for listening to our interview, and we hope you listen to the next edition of Work Human Radio.